I, but, but you know, it's so important for us to uh, recognize that really the import of Yom Kippur, the main thing that we get out of Yom Kippur, I think, is this sense of a return to God, of a being reconciled to God. And it's important that uh, we don't simply look at the holiday as how does it point to the Messiah? We talk about that all the time, right? But we need to get out of it, you know, a real sense of reconciliation uh, with God. Uh, and, uh, and so tonight we're going to uh, talk a little bit about what God values very much uh, in Yom Kippur. What is important to God in Yom Kippur? You know, uh, in Judaism, I, uh, the 10th of Tishrei, that's what uh, tonight begins and tomorrow is, the 10th day of the month of Tishrei, I, is I, I, historically, and according to tradition, you know, I always like to say according to tradition with a capital T, all right? I, and this will uh, uh, tell us, I think, uh, what God really values uh, in this day and what is valued in the Jewish community. And also, we can also say, what does Yeshua value? Uh, you know, uh, in the Brit Harashai, in the New Covenant. What does he value in this idea of reconciliation? What's really important? Well, the 10th day of Tishrei, uh, according to the tradition, is the day when Moses went up the mountain for the second time uh, after the tablets broke and the golden calf episode and, and all of that. And of course, we know, you know it, you know it well, it's even part of our uh, liturgy, uh, even tonight, uh, in a few minutes, uh, the passage in Exodus uh, chapter uh, 34, that uh, Moses goes up uh, the mountain again, and he's standing before God, and he's in the cleft of the rock. You know the passage, uh, and uh, we read here in verse 4, so he cut out two stone tablets, like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand and the Lord descended in a cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord proclaimed, right? The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger uh, and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And so this passage of Scripture is a cornerstone passage of Scripture on the Day of Atonement. Why? Because uh, clearly what we see here is uh, a demonstration of the grace and the mercy of God and the, recon the forgiveness of God and the reconciliation of God uh, toward his people. And, of course, this was no small, this wasn't like I said a bad word and I need reconciliation, right? Uh, you know, or I cut some guy off on the highway or... This was huge. Uh, this sin, this transgression uh, was a great, grave sin, right? And we know uh, that God says, I'm going to destroy this people, right? I'm going to destroy this people and I'm going to start over again with you, uh, Moses. 
right? And I, I, I don't know if I said that in a, in, on Rosh Hashanah or I was saying it in a Bible study. It all kind of merges together. But isn't it kind of interesting that that's kind of oftentimes the way many uh, uh, people who embrace Yeshua kind of look at Israel today, right? That, look, you blew it, right? We're done with you, and now we're going to start over again with this, uh, you know, with this group of people. And we know that that is certainly is, has never been the case. And you see it right here in the gravest of sins of, uh, of Israel. I, we read here that while that is, may be what the people deserved, that was not what they received. They received the forgiveness of God. And, uh, and here in chapter 34, we have uh, this word of God. Now, it's interesting that I, in, uh, in Judaism, this is understood to be a prayer. Remember I shared this on Rosh Hashanah, that, that um, it's, it's as if uh, God uh, was wearing a talit, uh, and enveloped uh, Moses in this talit and prayed this, prayed these words. And he prays these words like, uh, you know, God is acting like the cantor. You know, God is like the intercessor, right? Uh, you know, and he prays these words so that Moses would know that the people have been forgiven and also so that Israel would pray these words. And that's why this is prayed over and over again on these high holy days. Uh, this uh, passage of scripture. Uh, and so that the people of Israel would pray these words and seek the forgiveness of God. But there's something else in the tradition. And that is that uh, in order for, and this is, this is, I'm just sharing, this is Jewish tradition, that in order for the words to be effective, Israel is called to demonstrate or emulate these qualities toward one another, and toward the nations. And that this is part of what it means to be a light to the nations, to demonstrate the nature, the character, the, therefore the ethics and the morals of, of God. And so, therefore, on Yom Kippur, I, uh, there is a lot of emphasis on showing forgiveness, loyal love, great compassion to others. In fact, in the Jewish world, on these 10 days of awe, while, yes, we're to pray, you know, God, search me and know me, uh, you know, in my anxious thoughts and, you know, open me up and reveal to me the errors of my way so that I can confess my sins, that what is truly emphasized is reaching out to other people horizontally and uh, being restored. And that if you want to... I really have the forgiveness of God on Yom Kippur, you need to demonstrate that to others and so that you come with restored relationships if you want to have a restored relationship with God. And it isn't that fascinating. That's fascinating because when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua basically says this. And, you know, it, it, is, uh, it is really uh, amazing when you think about it. And you're probably familiar with the passage. It's in Matthew chapter uh, 5, uh, and uh, it is in verse uh, 21. It says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. 
And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly. Make, it's so like basic, and but yet so profound. Uh, just make friends quickly. <laughs> you know, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you shall not come out of there until you have paid the last cent. Now, Yeshua uses some rough talk there, right? But may I suggest his point is 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 not about the judgment as much as it is about the importance of reconciliation, about how important this is. Isn't it amazing? It's the first thing he says right after he says he hasn't come to abolish the Torah. He hasn't come to abolish the Torah or the prophets, right? And then, you know, uh, he goes on to, uh, uh, you know, to say, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the Torah until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And the, and the key verse, of course, is verse 20, right? For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, I would suggest that this, the, the, the uh, you know, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was pretty high up there when it comes to every stroke of the Torah. You know, they, they were not slackers, uh, you know, when it came to uh, observance. So there has to be something more than simple observance here. And that's what he says. He says here um, in verse 20, uh, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we learned on Rosh Hashanah, we could call that the righteousness of God. It's called the righteousness of God in other places, you know, in the scriptures. And then the very next thing he says is about reconciliation with others. So clearly, this is a priority. Now we need to, we should ask ourselves, why is that so important? Why, he doesn't say, keep Shabbat. He doesn't say here, uh, you know, uh, you've heard that it has been said, keep Shabbat, but I'm telling you to rest in the Lord. Or, you know, he doesn't say any, something like that. He doesn't say anything here about Passover. He doesn't say anything here even about like the laws of Kashrut. Not that, I'm not saying these are not, you know, important things. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is what is the priority here? The priority is indeed reconciliation with others. This was a priority in the Torah. And it is a priority here. It goes back, uh, indeed, you know, uh, to, uh, to creation. At creation, there was perfect harmony. That man was in harmony, we'll just say, with God, with, with his surroundings, with the creation, and the man and the woman, with, with one another, right? Uh, and we know without, we're not going to turn to all those passages, but because of sin, man became alienated to God, to the creation, and to one another. Uh, and we see the downward spiral, you know, in those early chapters of Breshit, in those early chapters of uh, Genesis. We read about 
murder. We read about brother killing brother. We read about debauchery. We, 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 we see the entire creation ending up so bad that God regrets that he even did it, that he even made the creation, right? Uh, because God's desire is that there would indeed be perfect harmony with in humanity, with the animals and the plant world, all of creation, and with God. But uh, we know that there is alienation uh, in all of those all of those categories. And you know, it doesn't. It, that's not a hard thing to understand because all you have to do is go outside. All, you know, all you have to do is just look at the world, you know, and uh, people may wonder, well, where is God in this world? How can you say there's a God? This is what rebellion looks like. <laughs> Indeed, there is a God, there is a king, but this is what rebellion looks like. When there is rebellion, there is all kinds of, of, a, uh, you know, of sin, of man against man and in the, in the world, and certainly... Uh, you know, an alienation with God. And, and so, you know, when you come to uh, 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 Genesis, uh, in the 12th uh, chapter here, we could say, uh, and I would say, you know, uh, oftentimes uh, theologians and biblical scholars and such try to find what is the theme of the five books of Moses? What is the theme? You know, you could pick a lot of things. You could pick holiness. Uh, is a theme. Uh, you could, the covenant relationship, you know, is 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 a theme. Uh, but uh, I would just suggest this is just a suggestion, okay? Uh, that blessing is a theme of uh, the five books of Moses. God's desire to bless mankind, man's rebellion, uh, the forfeiture of blessing, God raising up uh, Israel to be a blessing to one another and to the nations. Uh, and so when you come to the 12th chapter, it is a little bit of a turning point. We could say that in the first 11 chapters, you have God directly desiring to bless mankind directly. Once you come to the 12th chapter, we see that it's going to be, this is a very interesting thing, that God is going to bless mankind through mankind, through people. And that people is Israel. That that God is going to bless via the blessing of the other. Sometimes we call it the idea of mutual blessing, blessing the other, right? Uh, and so, clearly, uh, we read in Genesis chapter 12, the word bless over and over again. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I would suggest that what blessing really is, is God relating to humanity the way he wants to. That's blessing. It comes in varieties of ways. God relating to us. The coming of the Messiah is a, is a blessing. I, I, uh, um, uh, Receiving uh, 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 necessary uh, things in life is a blessing. We view it as coming from God, even though it might be coming horizontally through other other uh, other people. You know, uh, someone might bless us with a gift, right? Oh, what a blessing! 
right? That's sort of like um, code word for thank you, God, you know, even though it's coming from another person. Blessing, by definition, comes from God, even though the word can be hijacked in varieties of ways. Kind of like the word messianic, okay? But, um, but anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in. But um, uh, anyway, that's what blessing is. So God is saying, I'm going to bless the nations. I'm going to, God is going to bless the nations through Abraham and his descendants, right? Uh, and, and so there is this sense, there, there is this relationship uh, that's demonstrated all through the Torah, and I'm not going to go through all, but all I'm going to say is, is that we see blessing and the lack of blessing in relationships, because the Torah is full of relationships. You have, for example, uh, J, uh, you have uh, Isaac and Ishmael. You have Sarah and Hagar. You have Abraham and Isaac and Abraham and Ishmael. We're supposed to be paying attention to all these relationships. Uh, and and, and how, we, how is it that God wants them to function? One of the great passages uh, is uh, Abraham and Lot, uh, you know, and um, where uh, uh, you read in chapter 13 of Genesis, it says in verse 8, Then Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. It's actually an important verse. It tells us something about what it means to be a godly man. And, uh, and uh, the blessing of the other is, is exactly what, what Abram does. You have then Isaac. Uh, uh, you, you know, you have uh, Jacob and Esau. Isaac and Jacob, Isaac and Esau, Jacob and Esau, Rebekah and Jacob. And, you know, all of these relationships, we see uh, uh, where the best thing in all of them is when there is this sense of mutual blessing, of reconciled relationships or just, you know, relationships. And, uh, you know, it's not a coincidence that the end of the, to the end of the book of Genesis, the longest story in Genesis is the story of Joseph. It's the longest it, it's the biggest thing that takes place in the entire book of Genesis is the story of Joseph. It, you know, it's 13 chapters long. It's longer than Genesis 1 to 11. <laughs> you, you, you know, it, it's longer than everything we know about Abraham. It's the longest story in the book of Genesis. And it comes at the end. And so, it, you know, it's not just, it just so happens that it's at the end. But it almost serves like the capstone on the book because you know the story of Jacob, you know, Jacob's sons and Joseph and sold into slavery and so on and so forth. But at the end, in chapter 50, uh, we read uh, here uh, at the end of the story uh, in verse 17, very important, uh, the, what do the brothers say? Thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive. I believe it's the first time we read that word, by the way, in the Bible. Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your uh, you are, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. 
for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant evil against me, for God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So what you have at the end of, end of the book of Genesis is it's almost like a microcosm of the history of the Jewish people. Uh, that uh, there is the blessing of Egypt that, you know, of, uh, of, uh, of Joseph blessing Pharaoh, Pharaoh blessing Joseph and his family, the idea of mutual blessing, Joseph and his brothers, Jacob and his grandsons, you know, uh, Jacob and Joseph. Uh, you have here a great demonstration of the blessing of the other uh, and of the forgiveness uh, uh, here of one to the other. Uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, you see it all the way through, but we're familiar with a passage in uh, Leviticus uh, in chapter 19. Remember uh, that. Uh, remember when Yeshua is asked, what are the greatest, the, the greatest commandments? And basically he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? That actually comes from Leviticus. Right? Uh, in verse 18 of chapter 19, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, I am the Lord. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, there's a lot of passages where we read later on where man is not supposed to hold a grudge and not take vengeance. Uh, you read it in the Torah, you read it in the prophets, you read it in the book of Proverbs, and, uh, you know, and, and elsewhere. Now, lest we think, oh, it's only about, only about the Jewish people here, you know, uh, your, your people. If you look over to verse 34 of uh, 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 chapter 19 of Leviticus, it says, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall, what? Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so this idea of blessing the other, loving the other, not holding a grudge, not seeking revenge, this is of great value, uh, you know, indeed, uh, 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 to... Uh, to, to God, uh, and therefore to us as well. And then, of course, uh, you, you know, uh, again, as I said at the beginning, you have this great statement in Exodus of the, the great forgiveness of a God. So when we come then all the way back to Matthew chapter 5, oh, remember? Yeah, right? Uh, that, uh, that this is why this is so important to God. This idea of forgiveness and reconciliation, uh, uh, just as it is indeed in the Jewish community. So when we're here uh, uh, tonight and we're thinking about, uh, you, you know, uh, Yom Kippur and, and, uh, and, and what it means, certainly I, I think it, it really is very important for us to think deeply about Am I demonstrating what God finds important? 
There's a lot of things that we might find important. There's a lot of things that we can be passionate about. And we are living in a day, we are living in a day when uh, there is so much, not only anxiety, but so much uh, accusation and finger pointing and, and judging one another and anger at one another. You know, sometimes it's kind of like, even in a even in a community like Beth Messiah or among believers in Yeshua, you know, if, if someone was sort of looking looking at the body of Messiah and looking for the Messiah in the body of a Messiah, would we be able to find him? Or is it so noisy about everything else? Do we value this kind of this uh, kind of activity? Do we value Make friends quickly. Uh, uh, do we value reconciliation? You know, it's really very interesting that you're hard-pressed in the uh, scriptures to find a verse that says, you know, you're doing the wave offering backwards. Or, you know how you're supposed to deal with that burnt offering? You know, you're supposed to bring it at 3 p.m. Well, it was 2 p.m. You did it wrong. You're going into captivity. You don't read anything like that. Why did Israel go into captivity? It was the, the length of time had to do with those Sabbaths. But why did the people go into captivity? Because primarily they were an unforgiving people. They were a proud people. And as we know from uh, Jeremiah, the people said, we have the temple. We, we have the temple. Got it. You know, we have the priesthood. We have the temple. We have offerings. And Jeremiah said, unless you really think deeply about your hard attitude toward orphans and widows, you know, and pride and one another, you are in for a big surprise. And so may I suggest that we are in for a big surprise if we pat ourselves on the back about how spiritual we are because we hold this view or that view on this end or that end, we are in for a big surprise because I'm going to suggest that God is very disappointed in all of us. Very disappointed in all of us, you know? Uh, it's interesting, uh, Heschel in this book, The Prophets, has a little subsection of the first chapter that says, I, th I think it's called The Importance of Trivialities. What the world finds trivial, what we find trivial, God is, finds absolutely imperative. We might think, well, okay, we need to be reconciled, but that's not as important as what I post on Facebook. That's not as important as my political understanding of things on the left and the right, everybody, anywhere, okay? That is, God does not find that pleasing or that important. This is what he finds important. He says, don't even bring the offering. Don't even bother. Don't even bother unless you get reconciled or at least make the effort. We need to hear that word. I need to hear that word. We all need to hear that word. We know the Lord. We love Yeshua. But we've got to like recalibrate a little bit. We've got to like go back to the beginning. So what, what, what does he find really important? You know, isn't it interesting? I wasn't going to say this, but well, hey, uh-oh. Uh, you know, it's interesting when Yeshua is asked the question about taxes. You know, should we pay Caesar? Should we 
you know, should we be giving to, to uh, Caesar, pay the tax? He says, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Well, let me tell you where that tax money went. It went to some real horrendous places. It was pretty bad. Yeshua, isn't it amazing that, I, you know, if we viewed our role as the body of the Messiah, the success of it, based on the life of Yeshua as he lived it in this world, if we, if we judge the success of the, uh, you know, of the mission of the body of the Messiah or the mission of Beth Messiah by the mission of Yeshua as he lived it horizontally, what was accomplished? We would, we would say he was a failure. We, we would say he was a failure. Because you know what? The suffering of the Romans wasn't alleviated. Uh, you still had great sectarian groups among the Jewish people in, in Israel. And then he died. What a waste. Then he died. You know, I, I, I think I've shared this before many, many years ago. And many years ago, when I was a student in the University of Buffalo, uh, I was a brand new, uh, you know, believer in Yeshua. And I, uh, there was a guest uh, coming to the campus. His name was Meyer Kahani, the founder of the Jewish Defense League. Like, in those days, we would have called him a Jewish terrorist, <laughs> you know, uh, really colored outside the lines. So he was speaking, and, and he said something to the effect that, you know, if all the Jews would move to Israel, the Messiah would come. Well, I'm the new, I'm the new believer in Yeshua, right? Boop, Messiah, uh-oh, right? And so it started percolating, percolating. Should I say, should I? Oh, no, Yeshua is the Messiah, you know? So, uh, you know, do you have any questions? Okay, and, and of course, what did I say? I got up, I can't believe I said this. You know, it was long before I was ever using a, a messianic kind of terminology, right? And I said, well, you know, I thank you, Rabbi Kahani, for, you know, for talking about the Messiah, but I want to tell you that the Messiah is coming. Jesus! Needless to say, this did not go over very well in the room, okay? But there was a lot of things that happened there. But one thing I'll never forget, this girl, there was an empty seat next to me, this girl rushed over and sat down next to me. And she said, I don't understand. How can you think that Jesus is the Messiah if he failed? If he failed. He didn't come and, and you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, alleviate uh, oppression against Jewish people. Right? But we know what he did. He did the greatest thing that he could have ever done. He died and he rose from the dead. Right? So may I suggest that if we're going to call ourselves the body of the Messiah, we might want to readjust our priorities a little bit. It's not bad to think about these things or to be concerned or hold opinions. Nothing wrong with any of that. But we need to get our story straight. We need to understand what our calling is. We need to understand why we're here, why we exist. We exist to make disciples of Yeshua amongst ourselves and anybody who will listen. That's what we're called to do. And so uh, primarily we see here what Yeshua desires is reconciliation. He desires reconciliation with God, but we need to demonstrate this in being reconciled indeed to others. And clearly, this is important to Yeshua. In fact, in this whole section, in this entire section, it's all about relationships. In this section, he says here, for example, uh, let's see, in verse 43, I'll only use that. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What? Wait a minute. Pray for those who persecute you? No, I shouldn't pray for them. I should be talking them down and hating on them. Isn't that what we do as believers? Right? Isn't it the truth that most of the world looks at people who embrace Yeshua and say, well, we know what you don't like. <laughs> you know, uh, we know what you rail against. Right? But, you know, what are you for? <laughs> and so we, we need to really think deeply about that. You know, love your enemies. This is not negotiable. This is not like, well, you don't know my enemies, right? And pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the, the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the, the pagans, is when it says Gentiles here, it means pagans, do the same. Therefore, you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It means here, be mature, be complete, you know, be who God wants you to be, uh, right? We are called to demonstrate that, to be image bearers of God. It's a non-negotiable. On Yom Kippur, I think this is what God wants to deal with us, deal with us with right now. And now finally, there's another passage, okay? It's also in Matthew, and it's in the 18th chapter. It's in the 18th chapter. Okay, we're familiar with it because that's where you have Matthew 18, okay? Right? We all know Matthew 18. Matthew 18 has to do with discipline, uh, you know, in the congregation. We just use Matthew 18. But isn't it amazing everything has a context, right? So the first thing that we read in Matthew 18 is, at that time the disciples came to Yeshua saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Probably not a wise, a real wise question to ask Yeshua, right? Uh, and he called a child to himself and set him before them. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you are unless you are converted or return, repent, right, and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives such a one in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to, who believe in me to stumble, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay, so the first thing we want to understand, this is not some kind of sentimental thing about aren't little kids cute or something, uh, you know? Because little children in that culture, in that day, were nothings, did not have standing, did not have, did not have greatness, uh, you know? And so what he's saying is, don't ask me who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be like one of these little children and see yourself as totally undeserving and having no standing if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to, uh, you know, check into the humility department, you know. Don't be asking me who's the greatest, but you need to have humility. You need to come like, a, like having no standing, like a, like, a, like a little child. And by the way, you know, I, when people do come to me and they realize that they're, you know, they've fallen short of the glory of God and they you know, uh, embrace Yeshua, do not make any of them stumble because if you do, I will hold you accountable. 
do not make them stumble. Build the obvi- obviously what he wants them to do is edify them, to build them up, build up, you know, um, uh, one another. And then he goes on to say, this is so important that if you stumble, if you cause stumbling in any way, I want you to cut off the body part, okay, that's causing stumbling, right? Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. And if your hand, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. In other words, I don't want people to stumble. I don't want them to fall. And whatever it takes for edification, whatever it takes for growth, that's what I want. Okay? Uh, And then he tells a little story. I won't take the time to read it, the whole thing, about going and finding a lost sheep, right? In other words, he's saying, I care about the people who are lost and I want to bring them in. I'm not looking for who's the greatest. I'm looking for who needs me. You know, who are the greatest sinners? That's who I want to bring in. Whoever's lost, that's who I want to bring in. And once they're in, I want them to, to grow, right? And then he says, and if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed, uh, and, and so on. You know, The point of this is, is that I want people to forgive, be forgiven. I want them to be admonished admonished. I want them to be told the error of their ways, and I, then I want them to receive it so that they'll repent and they'll, and they'll grow. And we have this responsibility, right? I, and it's very interesting, by the way, in verse 19, when it says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it shall be done to them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, uh, there I am in their midst. You know that that is not referring to isn't it great that if a couple of us are together, Yeshua is here? That's not what he's actually teaching. He's saying that when you're having those kind of conversations, I'm in your midst. When you're having those kind of conversations of admonishing someone, you know, and uh, seeking for a person to, to change their ways so that, you know, and to, and to repent, I'm there. Because that, that's what he desires. That's what he desires, right? Now, of course, you know, in the uh, book of Galatians, in uh, chapter 6, great uh, chapter there, in Galatians chapter 6, it says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual will restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you to be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Messiah. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, but not in regard to another. For each shall bear his own own load. Okay? And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches and so on. The point being is that the goal is always restoration. The goal is always reconciliation. The goal is always forgiveness. And so this, after all of that, Peter, of course, asks a question. You know, it's really great what you're saying, Yeshua, but how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I mean, like seven times? 
Yeshua said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, or always. That's what Yeshua is saying. Don't count 490 times, you know? 91, all right. No, it's all the time. So Peter is saying, wow, you mean I got to forgive? We have to be reconciled? That's what all this, that's what all that is about, being reconciled, right? Peter says, how often? We ask that question. How, you know, this person really rubs me the wrong way. How many times do I have to re- forgive? How many times do I have to be reconciled, right? And so he says, always. And then Yeshua tells a story. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. Let me just suggest something when you read that 10,000 talents. You know what that is? You know what that's like saying? A zillion dollars. It's it's like it's it's not a real number. It's like like there's not enough zeros. Okay, um, that's how much he owed. Okay, but since he did not have the means to repay, his lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had, to, so that repayment could be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, "Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything." But you see, Yeshua is making a point. It's impossible. You cannot pay everything because it's like a gazillion. A zil- Did I say zillion? It's a gazillion. Okay? All right? Uh, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the whole debt. Forgave him the whole thing. Wow. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which would be, you know, uh, you know, a buck fifty. Well, actually, probably a little more than that, but not a gazillion, you know, like like a, a sum of money that is not that much and certainly not that much compared to what he was forgiven. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, begging him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. I get the same thing that he said, right? He, but he was unwilling, however, and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what he had, what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported it to their Lord, all that had happened. Then summoning him, he, summoning him, his Lord, he said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave, even as I have had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should pay all that was owed. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your... And so clearly, in this chapter, humility is necessary. I, I, uh, justice, yes, is necessary in, in dealing with reproving people for the purpose of due process. That's what I'm trying Due process is necessary, always with the goal of forgiveness, always with the goal of restoration. Uh, and we see that there is a calling on us to forgive. And so when we forgive, what does it mean to forgive? When we forgive, it means not just simply, I forgive you. It means what we're actually doing is we're doing what Yeshua did. What did Yeshua do? He bore our sins. He took them on himself. He he paid a price for our sins. When people sin against us, what it means to forgive is I'm actually going to let them off the hook. Yes, that is what it means. 
I'm going to let them off the hook. I'm not going to demand a pound of flesh. I'm going to bear that iniquity. I'm going to bear the thing they did. That is what it means when we talk about dying, dying to self, living for the Lord. That's what it means. It's costly to forgive. But in Messiah Yeshua, we can do it. In Messiah Yeshua, we can live that way. And we can, we can therefore be let out of the prison cell of bitterness uh, you know, and jealousy uh, and hatred uh, and, and you, you know, just living in this prison of anger and resentment. We don't have to live that way in Messiah Yeshua. And finally, you know, in Ephesians, clearly, it's quite clear, uh, you know, what this great value is uh, to the God. You know, it's interesting in uh, Ephesians, the first three chapters is Paul explaining to Gentiles that uh, you are uh, come under the kingship of the Messiah. And then in chapter four, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. With, it, with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance, putting up with one another, showing forbearance to one another in love. And look what it says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do you know that unity comes with knowing the Lord? Disunity can only happen when we do that. We bring disunity. God brings unity, Right? Uh, diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then if you go over to verse uh, verse uh, 29, it says uh, in chapter 4, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Messiah also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Messiah also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrance. And so, on Yom Kippur, May we uh, come to God. May we come and, and confess our sins of broken relationships or jealousies or anger, whatever it may be. And may we realize, you know, we need to value what God values, and that indeed is reconciliation. We know that the day is going to come and the whole world will be reconciled. Even wolves and lambs will be hanging out together, you know? Uh, and, and so... We need to demonstrate that now. When we talk about the presence of the future, that's what we're talking about. And isn't that what the world really desires and looks at and for? Is that kind of reconciliation? And uh, so let us rejoice in the reconciliation that we have uh, in the Messiah. Let us rejoice in the salvation that we have in him. Uh, but may we demonstrate all that we've received in our relations with one another. May we truly engage in mutual blessing and the blessing of the as as we uh, defer and as we, as we uh, uh, love and as we forgive. What a great testimony that is for all of us. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, I pray, God, that uh, we might really um, 
come to terms with this, God, and that we might uh, forgive as we have been forgiven. Lord, I know that we rejoice in our own forgiveness in what we've received from you, God, and we love to sing about it and we love to talk about it. But God, may we demonstrate it in forgiving others and loving others and, you know, and uh, and all of that. And so, God, uh, I pray uh, that on this Yom Kippur, uh, you would really bring transformation to us uh, in this way. And we pray in Messiah's name.